Thanks for joining Direct Connect. We've got Steve Parker with me today. We're going to talk more about SIP4 and SIP11 and new standards and all the fun that comes with that. But with that, how you doing, Steve? I'm doing pretty good, actually. Um, you know, uh, before we jumped on, you, you issued a, a statement. You said words have meaning. Uh, and I've heard that phrase many times. Many people probably have. But do you, do you know what would happen if words did not have meaning? I have a teenager, so I feel like I do. They would be meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> last episode you and leonard went through a lot of the the changes there and some of the potential pitfalls um, and we've seen since then in a few industry th industry threads that people are already tripping uh, including mm -hmm. auditors potentially quite quite possibly and i think it underscores you know the advice that that we often give to people to to stay connected and you know obviously um paying attention to Archer and, you know, some of the stuff we put out is, is useful as well, but being connected to your peers in industry, uh, because when they experience something, uh, oftentimes they're going to share, uh, within various industry forums, um, some of which are, are, are more open and public. And sometimes it's just a, a direct uh, phone call to a couple of close friends. Uh, but it helps to, to, to keep the pulse of what's going on. Um, you know, words do have meaning obviously. And if they, if they didn't, they would be meaningless, but, um, words carry different weight. So a, a <clears throat> standard has a uh, certain legal weight, uh, particularly if something were to go to the court of law, other comments and statements made by auditors, uh, individuals within a region, written guidance documents, written presentations, they all carry different, different weights. And so you have to factor, factor a lot of all, all in and, um, kind of decide what's the best approach given your risk tolerance. Um, and, and where you're situated in the industry. So specifically, there's been some uh, concerns coming up uh, regarding cloud. Uh, it's obviously it's been an issue for quite some time. The changes made to SIP4 and SIP11 were really designed to better support the use of cloud. Um, and there's been some chatter from a variety of sources indicating that uh, at least one region perhaps is suggesting that the approach people think is going to work might not work so that's um, obviously a bit a bit concerning let me i believe the the at least the, what was put forward that i saw was the potential for the um those provisioning access to provision unauthorized access made it a, a violation is that short version of that i don't know how we got past the physical and, and cyber access before because you have the same issue there yeah, well, whether it's cloud or whether it's an internal uh, company system, you have the same issue, right? You have individuals with administrative access that either directly have access to the system and the data, or indirectly they could provision access for themselves uh, through their administrative credentials. Um, I can think of one example in the record that's somewhat related to that concept. In the CERC region uh, a number of years ago, I think uh, you and I had talked about this they issued a penalty uh, or uh, found noncompliance with an entity because their badging system administrators had knowledge of the pins that they were uh, establishing uh, for, for individuals. And therefore, that uh, undermined the two-factor authentication, the use of the pins. Now, obviously, the administrators could give themselves whatever access they wanted, so there wasn't really any additional risk per se. 
but they found that as a violation. Along the same lines, there are suggestions that the ability for an administrator to grant themselves access to BCSI, for example, might actually be considered provisioned access, which um, I personally would disagree with. I, I don't think you have provisioned access until you have actually provisioned that. Um, the fact that they have the ability to do that doesn't matter because they haven't done it. So uh, until it's actually provisioned, I don't think it's provisioned access. But, um, you know, it, it's a concern. It's something that's come up. It's being talked about pretty actively right now. Yeah, I think that just reminds me of some of the, the earlier days when we were first looking at version five. I know when I was still at WEC and looking at where are the trip hazards on this one? Where are the, the issues? Um, I know one of the ones that we dealt with um, that Darren Nielsen and I actually, we, we spent a lot of time going round and round. How do we actually audit this? The two controls on SIP uh, 6R 1.3. What does that mean? Um, because when it was put together, I think the drafting team had a clear idea. What they wrote down, words have meaning. And the words they wrote were really challenging to, to implement. Um, so I think this, this isn't new. It's a new, a new chapter of the same story. It's a new setting for a Hallmark movie. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that's one of the, the issues we run into with our standards. It, you know, it's a case of the drafting teams perhaps being a little too cute, you know, where they have something they want to say, and rather than just saying it, they, they abstract it out a little bit. Now, now in fairness, uh, we don't want our standards to be so overly prescriptive and so overly narrow that they're not useful uh, more broadly. So, you know, I can see why they wouldn't come in and say, hey, in you know, this particular cloud scenario, you, you do this particular technical control. That, that would not be a good thing. Um, but they didn't mention cloud at all. And I think, uh, as we pointed out in our previous Direct Connect, the provisioned access not being defined, despite the fact that there is some pretty decent guidance on it, um, guidance is just guidance. Uh, even endorsed guidance, which is generally very reliable, uh, is not necessarily perfect. Um, so you get these situations where, you know, what, what does it mean to be provisioned under what circumstances? And there's always opportunities for auditors to take different approaches and have different opinions. So we, we, as expected, as expected, we need to watch for that as, uh, this, these new versions are rolled out as they're implemented. And as audits begin, we need to track uh, the approaches that are taken very, very closely. And, um, frankly, be it, you know, don't be afraid to push back a little bit. Um, my personal opinion is the industry has been very reluctant to push back on auditors when they are not, uh, you know, maybe their opinions seem inappropriate. You know, we can we can debate about what that is and what that isn't. But you know, utilities should not be afraid to push back if they think they're being uh, subjected to improper, inappropriate, you know, different opinions on what the standards say. Uh, we have appeals processes for a reason. Um, don't be afraid to, to to take advantage of those you know, when needed. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that it's. It's been good for me personally because I've gotten a chance to really go through ins and outs on SIP 14, which I think is probably the most broadly written standard we've got right now. Um, I jokingly say that R4 should just say go do a vulnerability assessment and R5 should say go do security. Um, but what we've seen by being connected in, in, in some of these forums is people are starting to realize that the audit approach doesn't necessarily match the words on paper. It's not out of bounds, but when you make a very broad standard, that flexibility cut, cuts both ways. Um, and that's where you really have to, like you said, stay in touch with the industry, whether it's through the various forums or the phone a friend. Um, 
I was actually kind of shocked to be at a client uh, late last year that was floored at some of the the audit approaches that we were explaining we were seeing on SIP 14 for multiple regions. They'd never it never crossed their mind that might be a, an issue. And I, I just kind of looked at that and where have you been hiding? Um, but it, it's important and it's whether it's right or wrong until it's challenged, then it is the standard uh, kind of to your point. So, and of course the, you know, the language on provisioned access that was primarily written to support encryption, the concept of using encryption uh, to protect data. And then the provisioned access would be having the ability to decrypt the data, right? That was a lot of the discussion um, that didn't get put into the standards. It got put into uh, technical rationale documents and guidance and things of that nature. Um, but it makes it a, a, it's a little bit weaker when it's not directly in the standard. Yeah, I know that that's one of the things that I've run across that one a number of times on other standards where, oh, this is an industry approved guidance document. Yeah, there's, there's different levels on that. There's the, I'd say at the lowest level is the industry approved and there's the, the NERC accepted. I think that's what they, the term they use is accepted, not approved. ERO endorsed. ERO endorsed. There we go. Um, and then the guidance, guidelines and technical basis that are in the standard, which has gone, I feel like that one's kind of gone both directions, whether it's been accepted or not, then the actual language of the standard. But at the end of the day, the language of the standard is the only thing that's that's binding. So I think that's one of those pieces where it's it's important to understand that you, you can make that argument, but it's not completely risk-free. And there's, you know, there's always the possibility of a interpretation request, which uh, those are, have been fairly rare. Um, I'm a big advocate of that process. Um, challenge now, you know, NERC and the drafting teams, it's very busy, very, very busy right now with standards development activities. And so uh, even if a interpretation request was accepted, it's going to be a while. It's probably not going to be prioritized. It's going to be two, three years perhaps before that would get uh, to get put through. So it's um, just one of those challenging situations we have, we have to deal with, uh, entities have to deal with. And, uh, you know, we're, we're here, we're watching, we're monitoring, we have opinions and ideas and, you know, yeah, we can certainly help if, uh, if requested to help work through some of those issues and help guide decisions. One of the other things, it's an opportunity for education as well, not just for the registered entities, but also for the, the ERO and the, the regions. And that's one of the things that particularly when we did the SIP version five and the low impact, we did some case studies on those. And I think there was a, the pilot program and, that was one of the things I did appreciate at that point, still being at WEC, was that we were candid and said, hey, we want to figure this out too. Let's figure it out together. Um, I feel like that's kind of slipped a little bit, but there's still the opportunity for that when you reach out either directly or if you're not comfortable reaching out directly to your region. Um, that's one of the things that, that we can do to help obfuscate. Like, hey, I've got a client or I know somebody. I have a friend. I'm asking for a friend. What do you think about this? Um, or this is the approach we're looking at. What are the challenges with it? That's not always, it, you come to them with a request, but it's not necessarily always a request. A lot of times there's an opportunity to, uh, to educate because at the end of the day, the auditors don't know the challenges that every utility faces inside and out, even if it's one they actually worked at because things have changed. Um, the environment's changed, the landscape's changed. So, And most of the auditors, I think, at the regions at this point are pretty open to that when it's not a challenge during the audit. I'd say that's probably the, the time when it's not the best one, but when you're looking at implementing a change, I still recommend reaching out to your, your auditors or your enforcement team at your region and just get their thoughts. Any other uh, thoughts or uh, 
concerns so far on the SIP 4, SIP 11 cloud vague standards? Where else could we go? Um, I don't know, fasten your seatbelts. Uh, <laughs> I think the, the devil's in the details sometimes, and you mentioned educating auditors and such. And, uh, um, you know, in fairness to auditors, it's very difficult to keep up on all the different technologies and approaches. Um, so educating them on specifically how some of this stuff works and how it relates to the standards and um, maybe, you know, if the industry can take a pro proactive approach, uh, maybe they can head some of this stuff off before it becomes a real issue and uh, auditors become entrenched in their positions. Auditors would never do that, would they? No, not at all. Nope. Well, thanks for joining. It's a short direct connect, short and sweet, but I think there's a, a lot of lessons learned already in a month and five days into the, these standards being applicable, uh, more to come. So, All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining. Take care. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com forward slash at ArcherU. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, you can head on over to our website at archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions LLC on LinkedIn, and at Archer SEC on Twitter. Thanks for listening and check back every other week for brand new episodes of Direct Connect.